When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that know, they know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them have been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. In the opening to his commentary on John chapter 17, Michael Card writes, if you want to get to know someone, listen to them pray. You think about it, if we could be a fly on the wall and listen in on someone's prayer when no one else is around, that it's likely in that moment that we would hear what is most heavy on their heart. We would likely hear who it is that they're bringing before the Lord, and we would likely get a great understanding of it is how they address and understand who God is and how they're longing for him to act in the world. And here in John chapter 17, Jesus opens up the door for us to get a front row seat of what is most on his heart. We discover that when God prays, humanity is the topic of his prayer. We are what is most on his heart. His care for us, his love for us, his longing for us to thrive and endure the life that is ahead of us, that is what he brings before the Lord. You could also, we could also say that we get a really great insight of how it is the Trinity talks together. And though we don't hear the, the Father's side of, of this conversation, what we gather from other points in Scripture is that Jesus tells us that when you have heard the Son, you have heard the Father. And so what we hear in this, this prayer is the Father and Son in mutual concern and love for humanity. 
let's keep in, in mind the context of this prayer. Right at the very front end, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. What's this hour that he's talking about? Well, when you turn the page, you literally will find Jesus on the cross. And so it's here. The hour that has come is his, his death, his resurrection, and, and his ascension. And what I find absolutely stunning is that right before, right as he's on the precipice of his, his own death, an agonizing crucifixion, what is most on his heart is his friends. He's considering their well-being. He's thinking about their thriving. He's thinking about their enduring and being kept in the Father's name. You might have heard the saying, I could, I could tell you, but it would be better if I showed you. That all throughout the Gospel of John, we have been told by Jesus the place that we have in the Father's heart. And here, in this prayer, Jesus shows us. Again, he opens up the door and, and he lets us peer into this deep, intimate, and private conversation that he's having with the Father. He's showing us the way that he thinks about us, the way that he cares for us, the longing that he has for us to be cared for and provided for. I think as we, we address this, this prayer and as we take time to, to, to walk through it and think about what Jesus is praying, I find it directive for me, instructive for me in, in two different ways. The, the first would be for us to just to be able to discover Jesus' heart for us. That what this prayer does is it allows us to see just how much he loves us. The, the ways that he's longing for, in, in real detail, the ways that he's longing for us to, for us to be cared for. The other thing that, that I hope that we would glean from this is how we pray for others. Jesus is bringing his friends to the Father. And he knows that what is ahead for them is a challenging season. He knows that what is ahead for them is going to be a time where he's going to be going away to a place where they at this current place cannot follow him. He knows that what's ahead for them is going to be a time of confusion. It's going to be a difficult time. It's going to be a place where they feel isolated. It's going to be a, a place where they're just devastated and trying to find their bearings. He also knows that what is ahead is, is mission. It's this space where, where they're being sent into the world. And so he's also, you also see what, what he, how it is he desires for his friends, his followers, his disciples to stay faithful to the calling that they have, ha, uh, have had placed over their lives. So again, I hope what we discover in this place is just discovering Jesus's heart for us, but that we would also learn and be able to glean from how Jesus prays for his friends. Let's talk about his prayer. The first thing that, that he prays in the first uh, verses of this prayer, you hear Jesus talking about being glorified, that, that the Father would be glorified, but that the Son would also be glorified. This, this word glory is, is interesting. I know that a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark talked about it. And, and I, I would say again, one of the ways that we've come to understand this word glory is like the word 
weight, substance, heaviness. That maybe we could phrase it this way, is that what Jesus is, is praying is that, that a, the full weight of understanding of who God is would be revealed to his disciples. And, and what is it? What is it that's going to give the disciples proper understanding, weight, substance of who God is? What is it? What is that one example that he could bring up, point to, that would say this? This is what God is like. This is what his character is. This is what his nature is. And what is it? What is it that we could say and point to and say this is what God is like? It's the cross. And I think that it would be good for us to have regular time in our lives where we just stop and we meditate on the cross. That we would stop and maybe just in our own minds get a picture of Jesus there on the cross. And as we do that, that we would remind ourselves in that moment, this is what gives God glory. This is what properly puts a spotlight onto the character and nature and heart of our Father. But the other thing that Jesus points to here is that he would return to his place of glory. And what is he praying about there? He, he knows that he's going to be returning to a place where he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, that the Son and the Father are going to be unified again together. And, and I think what it, it reveals to us is that the other thing that gives a great demonstration and understanding of who God is, what gives him glory, what puts that proper spotlight on him. And it is the intimate, unified relationship of the Father and Son. God is love. And it is that perfect unity that they have together that gives an incredible picture and proper insight into who God is. And so as followers of Jesus, what I hope that we hear in this prayer is this place of saying, what is it? How, how, are, how is our mind and our imagination shaped by, by who God is? And then how is our life lived out as we get proper understanding of who God is? It is the cross and it is their unity. It is Jesus's sacrifice and it is God's love for one another. And then we say, God, may our lives find conformity to that revelation of who you are. But then Jesus starts praying in more specific detail for the disciples. And there are three things that I want you to hear about this prayer, at least this week. And then next week, we'll talk about uh, one more element of his prayer. The three elements that I want you to hear in this prayer is that Jesus is praying that we would be kept in the Father's name. He prays that we would be filled with his joy and that we would be sent in his truth. Let's talk about that first one, that we would be kept in the Father's name. When Jesus prays that we would be kept in his name, what I was floored by this week was to discover that he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. 
And what I was floored by this week was to discover that when you look over the pages of Scripture, all of the Bible, you will find that this is the only time that, this, that God is addressed this way. Holy Father. You would think that that phrase is, is found all over the pages of Scripture, but it isn't. And so it, I think it's, it's so exciting for me and, 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 and informative to, to hear Jesus say, I want you them to be kept in your name, but I want them to be kept in, here's, here's a proper understanding. This is what they're kept in. They're kept in this name, Holy Father. D.A. Carson, when he reflects on, on that Holy Father, he says the name that we are kept in is, is one of awesome transcendence and familial intimacy. That's where we reside. And so what does it mean that we're kept in his name? There, there's, again, two, there's two things that I want you to think about when it comes to this. The first one is that we're, that this is the place that that we are cared for that this is there's a point in the psalms where it says god your name is like a strong tower we think about the power the majesty the beauty the glory the holiness that is your name and we realize that is the name that covers our lives that is the name that we are sustained in. That is the name that we are provided for in. That is the name that we find our care. But the other thing that, that Jesus is praying for us to be kept in his name is that this is the place that we would find our loyalty, our fidelity, and our allegiance. That we would be in a place where we are growing in our trust of who Jesus is and that our lives are constantly giving more and more proper allegiance to him and him alone. So we're kept in his name. We are provided for here, but it's also this place of saying, this is the place that we operate from. This We will not stray from this name. And maybe when we stray from this name, that we would constantly return and say, this is the place that we are going to reside from. It is him that we live and we move and we have our being. This past year, I watched a movie uh, called A Hidden Life. The movie A Hidden Life, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's beautiful, it is, I, I found it an incredible movie, but I also fell asleep in and I had to watch it over the course of two days in. So I don't know if that's like a glowing recommendation, but I think it gives you proper understanding of what the movie's like. It is, it is incredible and it's worth sitting on, but it might take you a few days to get through. But it's the story of um, a real life man named Franz. I will not try to, to, to say his last name because I would butcher it. Um, and, and he lives during the time of Nazi Ger Germany. And what you find about Franz's life is it is a, it is a beautiful life. It is a life of simplicity. It is a life of, of hard work, but it is also you get constant pictures of, of him laughing and, and enjoying his family. 
He loves his wife and he loves his kids. And that is that is the place that his life resides in. But you also, throughout the movie, see that he's on this collision course. He's on a collision course with Nazi Germany. And, and what's going to happen is that he's going to be at this final point of tension because he's going to be called to give his allegiance to Hitler. And, and for him, because of the way that his life is grounded over here, hidden in this place of, of love and simplicity and joy, and, and, and it also highlights his, his faith in the Lord, you find that, that he sees it like oil and water. That what his life is like and where his life resides, there is no way that he can give allegiance to Hitler. And then there's this constant pressure and influence from the town that he lives in, this small remote town in the hills. And, and the pressure from, from friends, from townspeople is to say, look, what good is it for you to resist? You're just one man. You're just one life. Will it really make that much of a di difference for you to be the one that resists giving your allegiance to Hitler and Nazi Germany? The, 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 the pressure from the town around him is, is look, it's, you're, just, just go with the flow. And in your own heart, you know that, that, that your life is really defined by this over here. And it's okay then that you just give this verbal allegiance to, to Hitler. And he refuses to do so. And ultimately, it, it, it costs him his life. But we know because of his faith that he even today is still kept in the name of the Lord. And the message from the film would be, you know, listen, maybe for our own lives, it's, it's not such a stark contrast. It's not such a, like, well, it's either, you know, follow Jesus or give allegiance to Nazi Germany. But I think that what I find in this prayer from Jesus, and I find in this message from this beautiful movie, A Hidden Life, is, is this place of saying, listen, the world wants your allegiance and 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 left to our own we will naturally drift into the flow of 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 the world its culture its ways its its systems and and what jesus prays for is that we wouldn't that we wouldn't live that way and that we would constantly be formed in an understanding of who he is and that that's what our life would, would look like. And so he does. In Jesus' prayer, he recognizes that there are these other forces that seek to come against the church, namely the world and the evil one. And it takes real endurance and awareness for the church to live a life that isn't in the flow and the influence of the world and the evil one would we be kept in his name. The other thing that Jesus prays is that we would be filled with his joy. The joy, the intimacy, the love that resides between the Father and the Son, Jesus is praying would be our own that that is what would begin to define our lives. And it's a mystery, 
right? Because Jesus recognizes that we will live in this place where there will be tension, there will be hostility, there, there will be a call to start following a different way. And in that place of tension, and even causes persecution for the church, the, the wonder of it all is that he is still praying and believing that our life would be filled with joy. Because we know that God delights in us. One of the things that we regularly pray over our community is that the Lord's countenance, may his countenance shine upon you. May his countenance be lifted in front of you. What is that? What is that prayer that we find in, in the book of Numbers? It's it's this place where, where God longs for his people is for them like a son, a child, to look up and to see the delight and the joy, the smile that is on their father's face. Jesus prays that we would be filled with his joy, that this is what would overtake our lives, that we would constantly be aware of the how, of how the Lord delights in us, of how his arms are open to us, and how he constantly longs to reveal just how much we mean in his sight and in his eyes. Just the Lord smiles upon you. His face is being lifted up before you. That that the image that we would constantly have in our mind is that when we look and we imagine how the Father is looking at us, it is with a huge and radiant smile. We will be filled with his joy. And the last thing that we'll visit is that Jesus prays that we would be sent in his truth. Jesus uses uh, the word sanctify. Sanctify them in your truth. That word sanctify is set apart. And specifically, the way that Jesus frames it in this prayer is sanctify them. And then he also knows they're sent into the world. And so this place, this understanding is, is that I'm setting them apart for mission. But their mission and they're being sent out, must constantly be in the context of knowing who I am in my truth. I've heard it phrased this way, is that the great commission, going out into the world and preaching the gospel, must always be wed with the great command. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That to be sent by God, to go out into the world, whatever place that we find ourselves in, whatever place our vocation is at, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at Target, at Costco, whatever it may look like, as we are sent into this world, it has to be in this context that we are growing more and more in our understanding of who God is, that our love for the Lord our God would constantly grow, that we would be a people that know intimately and rightly who God is, and then we do. 
we find out who we are. We find out the way that the Lord loves us. And we find out more and more who God is. And it's from that place that we go. And Jesus prays that we would be protected or kept in the Father's name, that we would be filled with his joy and uh, that we would be sent in his truth. But as we wrap up, what I, what I want us to, to hear is this. May we be a people of prayer. One of the things that, that I just have had pressed on my heart more and more, especially just reading in John chapter 17, is that Jesus prays. That's not insignificant. He prays for his friends. And that was a normal thing for him. If we can catch anything from Jesus in this moment, if we can glean anything from Jesus and just stop and, and respond to here is that we would, we, again, we would discover God's heart for us and that we would become a people that pray like he does. You know, just a few weeks ago, we announced to the church that Betty Shimizono passed away. And as I've been just thanking the Lord for, for her life and reflecting upon the impact that she's had upon our community and just who she was as, as a woman and a woman of the Lord, that she prayed. When I think about Betty, I think about someone that prayed and prayed regularly. And when I would chat with her and I'd have the opportunity to, to just hang out with her for a little bit, she would always ask two questions or she would always reflect on two things with me. The things that she would inquire about are how's my workload and how am I doing with my family? Do I have time with them? And that just always struck me as, as a message from the Holy Spirit that she cared about the rhythm and, and the weight of my life, what I was enduring, and that I was, that I was doing well, that I, that I wasn't carrying all this weight. She wanted to make sure that I wasn't just constantly adding more and more on my plate. And then she always wanted to know, how are you and Larissa? How are you and the boys? Do you get time with them? Do you guys play together? I mean, that was, those were her concerns. And I believe what shaped those concerns for her is that she spent time with the Lord in prayer and her life was shaped. Her life was formed in those spaces of prayer. And so her concern for me and, and her desire for me to thrive all emerged out of her time with the Father. May, may we be a people that, that pray May we be a people that, that spend regular, intimate time with the Lord. And that isn't to, for us to feel this more and more weight, because we will never feel like we pray enough. But what I hope happens in our heart is that we would, we would have this hunger, this thirst rise up within us where we desire to be in the Lord's presence and to be in conversation with Him. May, may we be a people of prayer.